this morning will not catch you off guard. It is probably one of the most familiar passages, if not the most familiar passage, that is developed in a Sunday morning service that has to deal with the Christmas theme. In fact, what's interesting about this is that over the years, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of Christmas sermons have been preached from this particular passage, but what makes the Word of God so valuable is the fact that you can't ever run dry. You can never fully bleed the full extent of this passage based upon the fact a couple of things. Number one, we've not, we weren't there. We did not get to see all of this. And if you allow yourself the privilege of having your mind, if you will, be controlled a little bit by your emotions. Now, I want to be careful there because I'm strictly a guy that likes to have my emotions guarded by truth. But if you can just allow yourself to just imagine what was going on in Luke chapter 2, at the time of the birth of our Savior. So many things, I'm sure, will capture you and take you away like Calgon in the water. But the issue is, is that because of the extent of the passage, we'll never be able to run it dry. What's interesting about the Gospel of Luke is, is this. Is that it was written by a physician. Luke wrote two books that we have in our Bibles. The first one being Luke. And the second one being the book of Acts. The first one, the book of Luke, which we are in today, is the prelude, if you will, of the book of Acts. But as you read in chapter 1, the first four or five verses, you'll recognize that there's an individual to whom Luke is recording these events. His name is Theophilus. We don't know much about him because nothing is told of us in the Scriptures other than the fact that Luke referred to him as being most noble, Theophilus. I don't know if that meant he held a realm, if you will, of authority or if it was just a greeting of respect. All I do know is that Luke wrote this book for the purpose of setting in straight account the events that have affected us all. In Acts, he picks up that same theme and says, now I want to write to you the completion of the acts that were done in our presence. And so when Luke begins to put down on paper the correlation, if you will, of the life of Jesus Christ, he comes at it from a very detailed position. I guess that's what doctors do. Doctors write from a position of very close detail to the issues at hand. Luke is also, in the four Gospels, is known as one of the Gospels that are closely related. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are closely that related that they speak of 
most of the same events of Jesus' life. The Gospel of John, in of itself, speaks of some of the same things, but has a different theme. Matthew is written for the purpose of showing that Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His genealogy just goes back to King David. He's the king. The Gospel of Mark was written for the purpose of proving that Jesus is the perfect servant. You won't find a genealogy because servants, they didn't care where they came from. They were only concerned about what they did. And so the Gospel of Mark presents Jesus as being the Son of Man. Matthew, he's known as the Son of God. And also in Luke. But in Luke... He's presented as being the perfect man. He's writing to a Greek who is then a Greek culture is only interested in the exaltation of, of human man. That man is the premier, if you will, the pinnacle of God's creative power. And so he writes this in order to focus on the fact that Jesus Christ is perfect in his manlyhood. John presents Jesus as being God. So this morning, as we focus on that, we come to the issue of Luke chapter 2. And I want to twist it just a little bit. I trust that I will not adulterate the text, nor do I wish to slide off into the realm of theological fantasy. But I do want to present some things that can be quickly overlooked. And the things that I want to speak of this morning are entitled, The Troubles in Bethlehem. Troubles. The first trouble that I see, though it's not really specifically highlighted, is this. Who, which husband in their right mind would say to his nine-month pregnant wife, let's go on a 90-mile trip? Oh, and by the way, we are not even told in the text that maybe Mary rode a donkey at least maybe was pulled in a cart. But all I know is during the time of nine months pregnancy and getting close to the birth of our children, my wife was not excited about taking the journey. Women, can I get an amen from you? There's a problem here. But the problem was exasperated by government authority. If you haven't figured it out by now, government authority really doesn't care about your position in life. Namingly, Caesar Augustus said, we're going to have a census. Make it happen. And during this time, we were told that Joseph and Mary traveled from Nazareth up north in Galilee 90-mile journey down to Bethlehem in Judea, all because of the fact that they belonged to a certain family. 
What we're not told in the text, though, is a problem. Because the road that goes from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem, if you stayed on the main road, you would have to go through Samaria. Jews don't like to go through Samaria. They wanted to exclude them. And you remember this from John chapter 4. When Jesus is with the woman at the well in Samaria, and the disciples said, what are we doing here? I think there's a lesson in that for us as people. We should be careful that we never exclude people that need to know about Jesus. No matter who they are, their culture, how they dress, we should always be inclusive in sharing the gospel. 90-mile journey to arrive at a place where there was no room them, no privacy for them, no comfort for them to have a child. The text does tells us that while they were there, Mary brought forth her firstborn son. We don't know how long they were there. But all I do know is that what I've heard in, in very, uh, so many different birthing rooms coming from the other room of a husband and a wife having a conversation of a woman being in labor for 24 hours, saying to her husband, if you ever touch me again, I'll kill you. Pain has a way of causing us to say things we wouldn't normally say. I don't believe Mary said that to Joseph. But what I do believe that Mary may very well have said to Joseph is this, why at this time? Why couldn't we just wait a little bit longer before making the journey? Sometimes God in His providence and in His way causes things to happen in our lives at the most unopportune time. It's inconvenient. Problems that happen to us, we would say to God, why now? Why now? I don't know if I can take much more of that journey. A 90-mile journey, which, by the way, another problem is, is that a birth like this had never happened before in the annals of history. There was no pattern by which they could look at and say, okay, on day this day we need to go this many miles. There was never another birth like this. coming with a family of six children. Each one of them were 
differently, but we had a pattern. The pattern was, is when mama says we got to go, we go. Because it wasn't going to be too long. But Mary didn't have a pattern like that. She couldn't stay with her relatives while her husband went her way, went his way, because she too, you might remember, is also from the tribe of Judah, David's tribe. She too had to go. It wasn't something that Joseph could take her halfway and drop her off at mom and dad's or mother-in-law-in-law's facility for her comfort. She had to go the whole way. And it was a problem. The road from Bethlehem to Nazareth and Nazareth to Bethlehem was a place of ill repute. Thieves would be along the way Jesus tells us of that particular story as he relates the account of the Good Samaritan. Thieves would have been on their way. Shysters would have tried to take from them all of their goods in order to leave them destitute and in the desert. And yet God brought them here through. Joseph and Mary, as they arrived in Bethlehem, they went to the only place they knew that there was a possibility of finding any kind of lodging. And that was to the inn. And all the innkeeper could give to them was a manger, a stable, available, quiet, a little bit warmer, a little bit more private. And it was where that Mary brought forth Jesus. A problem. They were all alone. There were no angels guarding the manger. There were no sentries that kept people away. There were no, if you will, soldiers that protected them. But what seemed to be a problem was a blessing because the one whom Mary brought forth is the king. We're not even aware of the fact, too, of the text telling us any activity of the forces of darkness. Jesus was not left alone. The forces of darkness knew who he was. It's recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel, John's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, and also Mark's Gospel that there was a time when Jesus was inaugurated by the presence of Satan trying to get him to forsake why he came. Along the road, we don't know if the forces of darkness would have tried their best 
to stop. Because if Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem, then Micah chapter 5, verse 2 would be wrong. And if Micah chapter 5, verse 2 is wrong, so is John 3.16. So is 1 John 5, 11-13. The birth of Christ was so dynamic that it fulfilled every aspect of the scriptures. Nothing was left out. The second problem I see is this. It has to do with angels singing. Not that they were singing off key. I doubt that's the issue. Not that they forgot the words. I, I know that that's not true. But why didn't the angels, why weren't they there singing to Mary who maybe needed just as much comfort and peace as the shepherds got? Why did they visit shepherds instead of herald the Savior? Why didn't they at least go and, and, and be around Mary and Joseph and just sing them a lullaby of God's grace. Went to the shepherds. And that's another problem that we'll get to in a few moments. But their song also carried with it a problem. Because you might remember the purpose of this series is to make sure that theologically... Tradition doesn't overrule the truth. It's been quoted so many times, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. But the issue, the theological issue, the truth issue of that verse doesn't speak of peace that covers all of the world. It's a peace that is available for the world in Jesus Christ. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth He has provided a peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ that only those who would trust in Him would have. Some of you here this morning would remember the the Vietnam conflict, and as I grew up in that particular era, I remember... It was right around this time, sometime during Christmas Eve, that it came on the news that the war was, was stopped for a couple of days in order to allow the forces to have some peace. But then apparently after the day after Christmas, it started up all over again. That's not the type of peace that the angels are talking about. They're talking about a peace that never ends. It's a peace that overrides all of life's problems. It's a kind of peace that not only does it guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, but it keeps us in that perfect relationship with God because it's through Jesus Christ kind of problem that reminds me of a journey of two men that were taking through the woods. They were walking side by side and 
And one of the individuals continually kept licking his lips because his mouth was so dry. And in that, he also created his lat, his lips to be chapped. He didn't have any chapstick. He wasn't carrying any Vaseline petroleum jelly. But he continually kept licking his lips and he kept saying to his friend, I wish I could have some kind of relief from this situation, this problem. My mouth is so dry and I keep licking my lips and my lips are chapped, but i got to keep licking them so they feel better. Do you have any help for me? And the other friend said, yes, I do. He said, out here, he said, what we do for chapped lips is this. Go over yonder, get yourself some horse manure, rub it on your lips, and he said, that'll, that'll help two ways. The manure will soothe your chapped lips, and it'll keep you from licking them. In a very foolish way, he got peace. But this kind of peace causes a problem. Because men want to come to God their way. Men are seeking after it through their own forces. And yet, we, re- we realize that it's only that which God can give. The third problem is this, is these shepherds. I got messed up this week. As I was trying my best to come up with some kind of newness in this passage, I did some more depthly research into these shepherds. It's not that I want to highlight them because they're not to be highlighted. Christ is to be highlighted. It's His day. But I came to realize that these shepherds could be viewed as being different than what we and what I used to believe. I've made the message and I've made the statement before. You all know that, that shepherds were viewed as the low of the lowest. They, they're in the bottom of the, of the totem pole. Blessings weren't coming to them. But yet when I did some research, I came to find out that these particular sheep that these shepherds were guarding were to be used, their offspring, their lambs were to be used for sacrifice in Jerusalem. We too often view that these shepherds We're just on the hillside, just outside of Bethlehem. But that can't be. They need to be near Jerusalem. And so when the angels appeared to them with an announcement, they had a journey to take too. But what is even more amazing, we'll get into a little bit deeper, but what is even more amazing is these shepherds themselves. Because these shepherds were to be in charge of protecting 
and providing for sacrificial lambs, these shepherds came from a, a different culture. They came from the tribe of Levi. They were priests who watched over these sheep. And the reason that they would watch over these sheep because they would be the ones who would know how to take care of lambs who were just born so that they don't get scratched, so that they don't get damaged, which would make them unusable in a sacrifice. And so it was a part of the Levitical priesthood that watched over these lambs. What makes it even more dynamic is that when the shepherds came to them, not only to give them direction to where they needed to go, but to remind them that they will be released from a practice because the Lamb of God has come. These shepherds, though, it says in the text, it gives us the information that they left their sheep. Why would they do that? Sheep are, I've been told, I don't have any, I don't want any. But I've been told that they're not the most intelligent animal on this earth. Things bother them. They get flustered easy. They don't like moving streams. They like streams that are kind of placid. They, they have to have certain kind of food. The shepherds have to watch out for all of that. And yet these shepherds left their sheep. The other thing, too, that... that brought me consternation is this is why are these sheep out at night they build sheep folds for that you round them up and you put them in a realm of protection with a high stone wall around it so that shepherds could watch their sheep in the sheep fold a place of protection, a place of provision, a place of peace. And they're out in the middle of nowhere at night. In our journey of faith, find it interesting that God will at times put us in places that we would just soon not be at. I love to go to New York City. The best pizza in the world is at the east end of the bridge that goes from Manhattan over to Brooklyn. It's called the Brooklyn Bridge. 
at the east end of it, when you come down, you can walk over that bridge. You come down on the sidewalk. There's a pizza parlor that is no more than 100 yards from that base of that bridge. It has the best pizza in the world. I'm living proof of that. But while you're there, you are also in the midst of the Watchtower Society printing presses. And their workers come out at lunchtime and play soccer. One day I was there and John Gotti's court case was being held. I didn't intend to be there at that time, but I want to tell you something. I got to talk to a newsman who wasn't going anywhere. He had his cameras set up, all ready to catch when John Gotti was coming out of the courthouse. And if he left that and didn't get that shot, he'd lose his job. So I knew he wasn't going anywhere. And you go up to him and you say, can I talk to you about Jesus? Well, I guess I got nothing else to do. Go ahead. Sometimes God puts us in places that aren't that peaceful, that aren't that protective, that aren't that provisions. All because He's got some good news for us to hear and to share. Shepherds left their sheep. And he went to see the Savior. They came away differently than what they went. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. The issue of Luke chapter 2, in a very detailed way, to not only show the wonder and the magnificence of our Savior, but to show us as human beings. I see myself too often in this passage. Sometimes I see myself as Caesar Augustus, who makes rules and who makes laws just because he wants to, with no regard to anybody else. I see myself sometimes as Joseph and Mary wondering what is it that God's doing? Why now? Why at this moment? Why now? And I see myself sometimes as shepherds. I don't view myself as being the elite group that gets to watch over the the lambs but I have been given a charge to watch over the sheep. And lastly, sometimes I see myself as the angels who think nothing greater than just to be able to sing to the wonders and glory of our Savior. Yeah, the passage has problems. But it also has great points that we can take in our lives 
to honor and glory our Savior. I trust that this morning, oh, can I just take like 25 more minutes? No. But I will ask you this. It's never recorded that the shepherd asked Mary and Joseph, what'd you name them? Wouldn't that have been at least one question that maybe as a new baby you would like to know? What's the child's name? How much did he weigh? How long was he? They didn't ask. I'm sure Mary and Joseph would have said that his name is Jesus. And he'll be the Savior of the world. Sometimes we come to Christmas time and we forget about Christ. This sun this went Thursday evening. That's what I'm going to speak on. Never leave out Christ of Christmas. But the question is this, dear people. Do you know the name of the one who was born? I trust you do. Let's pray. God, we rambled on and off. And now it's up to you to take your word and drive it deep to our hearts. Make the familiarity of this passage more than something that we can bring forward from our memory. But allow it, Lord, to sink deeply into our lives. Our Savior was born brought through, proclaimed, and established as the King of Kings. It's all because that is your plan, not a problem. So God, I pray that as we look forward to five days from now, when the official day of Christmas arrives, let us not lose sight of the greatest gift that was ever given. And it's in His name, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.